Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. We're committed to keeping our clients informed on the evolving situation and how it affects you, your family, and your business. One of the questions asked during times like this over and over again is, but what if it's different this time? I'm going to spend a few minutes on in this particular episode on that question. It's a very important question because economists and market tacticians are very similar in how they approach their craft. We rely not only on forward-looking expectations, which are murky right now at best, but also on precedent, using historical constructs to create the assumptions on which to build our forecasts and our portfolios. There are three things about this particular crisis that are worth mentioning when considering if we are attempting to determine if things truly are different this time. I'll start first with the cause of recessions. As mentioned in an earlier podcast, the cause of recessions historically has been when we experience an imbalance in the economy that then needs to be righted, likely through more restrictive monetary policy. So generally, what occurs over the course of an economic cycle is your economy continues to grow at an increasing pace. Inflation starts to set in as we see higher prices, whether they're for energy or for food or for housing. And it's been different in a combination of those three, typically over the last 30 years or so, whenever we've had a recession. And then the Fed generally steps in and raises interest rates in order to slow the economy. Of course, the challenge there is, is that it's very difficult to determine exactly the pace and the magnitude of those interest rate hikes. And so when you hear the term, the Fed overshoots, this is where the Fed tends to overshoot is either being too quick or raising uh, rates to a, a too high a magnitude to counteract this inflationary imbalance. Going into 2020, however, we really had no inflation. Energy prices have remained structurally lower since the 2008-2009 recession. Uh, Food and housing haven't been as inflationary from uh, globally. There certainly are pockets geographically where rents have been higher, and we see that in, in core real estate markets, particularly here in the United States. But overall, it hasn't been a huge pressure higher from an inflationary perspective. Growth was certainly not overheated. Two to two and a half percent GDP has been our trend over the last several years. We've seen intermittent periods of higher growth, but certainly not to the excesses that we experienced in the late 90s or in the 2005, 2006 period, where we're really, from a global perspective, seeing that accelerated growth. And therefore, it's difficult to see the environment that we're in today, creating the same type of comparisons from a data perspective that we would have had with 2008, 2001, 1990, 1980. That becomes more challenging for economists as we're expecting there to be a consistent pattern leading up to a recession. So we would expect six to nine months prior to a recession to have had the Fed made several moves to tighten. 
We did see some interest rate tightening in 2018, but we saw that market pivot and departure away from tighter monetary policy in 2019, which has led us into this year. And we certainly did not experience an overheating or an imbalance either in the broad economy or really in any of the areas of the economy that would point to one specific area of excess. So think about the housing market coming into 2008, clearly with the amount of supply, with the amount of debt that was levered to the residential housing market here in the United States, and then the debt that was then structured on top of that in the investment realm that was clearly an area of excess and imbalance that proved to be uh, the primary driver of the crisis that then ensued. So with the cause of recession being fairly consistent historically, and the cause of recession today being this exogenous, sharp contraction in demand, it's difficult to see comparisons and use previous recessions as precedent for what to expect over the next three, six, nine, 12 months in the United States. Let's next consider how asset classes typically perform pre and post recession. Similar to the argument about these economic imbalances that build up prior to a recession, there are generally assets that perform better and or worse depending on how closely tied they are to those areas of imbalance going into a recessionary period. So again, think about the housing market prior to 2007 uh, and the amount of our collective US GDP that was associated with housing and construction and the transmission of a market increase in the number of homeowners uh, that you know, that is everything from furniture to uh, lawnmowers. There's a significant amount of transmission as you increase the number of homeowners in the United States from a consumer spending perspective. Think about what happened in the dot-com bubble and the amount of wealth that was created uh, on paper and uh, then in some cases monetized as a result of this boom in the new the new world order of the internet that we most certainly are living in today as we are all sheltered in place and relying on Wi-Fi to keep us connected to the rest of the world. So typically what happens during a recession is that we see several market markers that create an opportunity for comparison with prior periods. One of those tends to be an increase or a spike in the VIX index, which is a measure of volatility of the U.S. equity market. And what traditionally happens, and there's a strong correlation, meaning there's, strong, there's a strong level of significance in the data, is that once the VIX spikes, uh, three months after that begins a period of outperformance for asset classes, which have underperformed prior to the recession. And so in this environment, that would be areas like emerging market stocks, uh, European stocks. Those areas have underperformed in the five years prior to this particular recession that we're in right now, uh, which will be officially 
uh, deemed a recession, I'm sure, in, in three or four months, uh, versus U.S. assets, U.S. stocks, U.S. government bonds, U.S. corporate bonds. Those have all performed very well in the five years previous. Uh, getting down to the sector level, areas like technology have performed very well, whereas energy and financials have lagged. And so this, anal- this analysis would indicate that perhaps we should see outperformance of those assets after this recession as they have underperformed previously. The challenge is, again, with this being different and the causes of this recession being different this time, could we expect things like the growth of technology across the uh, the business environment to abate and move to a more cyclical period of manufacturing resurgence and a move away from some of the growth and innovation that we've relied on from an investment standpoint to drive returns over the last several years. I don't know that there's a lot of evidence that that should occur. There was not an imbalance in the growth of these technology companies. One could say that there's an imbalance in the effect that they have on our lives from a privacy and data perspective. But really, I'm thinking outside of that and really thinking more about it in terms of an economic imbalance. And frankly, technology companies have grown because technology is becoming an in. Uh, an incredibly important part of not only businesses, but our consumer life. And then therefore, those technology companies have benefited from that. I don't necessarily see that trend abating. And so therefore, that would be an area where I would point to that perhaps it's not different this time, and that perhaps we can continue to see those technology companies benefit from their emphasis on growth and innovation, even post-recession. Finally, investor behavior. And this is actually the area that uh, is almost never different this time. And the reason why is that investors rely on experience that's, that they have had before, or if they have not had those experience before, experiences before, excuse me, relying on experiences of others that have reported on their experience in order to have this not be the same uh, the next time around. And that go- it's both positive and negative. Uh, one of the reasons that investors rely so heavily on things like price to earnings or price to book is that those tend to be easily measurable over the course of of time. uh, They allow for a specific type of context to compare a current situation with a previous situation from an apples to apples perspective. And investors tend to anchor themselves to periods where they have experienced a specific uh, scenario and know the outcome of that scenario and therefore are able to apply that knowledge to the next scenario that they view to be the same. And in this environment, that is what investors are trying to do, is that they're trying to create those comparisons, whether it's markets bottom, you know, at a certain point in time after jobless claims hit their peak, or markets bottom after the VIX has retraced uh, its, you know, rise at least 35%. These are all just examples of things that are being used by investors in order to create comfort that a foundation for their investment decisions can be made based on previous history. 
And so that's the piece where if you ask me what's different this time, it's not investor behavior. And therefore, with the fiscal stimulus that we've seen and the monetary stimulus that we've seen, and investor behavior tending to be fairly well anchored in previous periods, despite the fact that this particular recession is different, I'm not sure that the path back to recovery will feel all that different when we look back five or 10 years from now than it has been in previous recessions. The one thing that I do think is different this time, and I'll leave you with this thought, is that everything has been accelerated. So the declines in the in the market have been accelerated. The deterioration in the economy have been accelerated. And that's due just to the magnitude of the demand shock that we have seen as a result of social distancing and shelter in place mandates. And so hopefully the the time for this recession will be shorter. It will be deep. It will feel painful, particularly as we see today, as I'm taping this podcast, another 6.6 million jobs lost here in the United States. And so just like every time, it's a little bit different, it's a little bit the same, but it's uncertain nonetheless. And so I encourage all of you to reach out to your Boston private team with any questions or concerns you may have as providing guidance and support as your trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives as this situation evolves by visiting bostonprivate.com. And if you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're on our site. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify, and check back next week for our next podcast. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, and may lose value.